competitive and especially if you're not going at max effort, you know, you can allow your, your brain to drift and move into a different state. Or if we just spend time watching people and, and seeing their full personalities, you realize that it's just, this is only part of who they are. Once you just also grow up with other possibilities, seeing other ways of life, seeing other presentations, it just makes it a lot easier. And it's just like you have to let go of that and just uh, kind of see where you are, do what you can. Hello and welcome back to The Big Run. Today's guest is Lindsay Freeman. Lindsay's a writer and a sociologist. She's interested in endurance, memory and poetics. And her most recent work is the remarkable book or handbook, Running. It's about practice, love, queerness and long distance running. In this conversation, we explore the work. We talk about some of the moments within it. Lindsay dives into the ideas of soft running and why all runners should experiment with LSD. Long, slow distance, that is. Let's get into the conversation. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining The Big Room. Really excited to, to chat to you, learn more about you, your running and, and your, your book, or to give it this kind of correct terminology, your handbook for your latest work, Running. And that was the thing that immediately struck me reading through it. It's this, this extraordinary collection of kind of tools to, to draw on for, for inspiration and just to ruminate on the, the subject of running, which is clearly so close to you and your heart. But what was the thinking, I suppose, in approaching the work and deciding to, to position it as a, as a handbook rather than a, a traditional bit of writing when you, when you first had the idea to, to explore it? Actually, I was invited to write a handbook. So um, this book is part of a new series of, of handbooks uh, put out by Duke University Press. And so the idea is a kind of play on the handbook genre, you know, like those books in the 90s that were all for dummies and, and um, some of the running handbooks that I grew up in my household. So it's, it is a handbook in some senses, but it's, it veers into more kind of memoir or social, uh, cultural exploration of running, I think, but so yeah, it was, it was a bit of a constraint and an assignment in a way. The handbook. I love that because constraint, I think, often leads to creativity. And you touch on it there that it, it, it's not the sort of um, it's not like an instruction manual or a, a handbook that you might find in the glove compartment of a car. Like the the sense of you, your personality, and your own experience, like really kind of kind of resonates and and, and comes through. And and so many things kind of immediately chimed with me as a runner reading through it. And like the first thing that really struck out to me was. The, this sense of we talk about leaving it all out there when it comes to running. And I loved your your kind of rumination on that, that in no other kind of context of life, you're you're allowed to leave it all out there in the way that sort of running allows you to to do that. I mean, can you kind of unpack where you kind of how you kind of came to that that theory and that moment in the book? It comes out of when I'm trying to tell this story, actually, of when I was a kid and I was running in a race in middle school. And I did a very dumb thing, you know, which is, which is my uh, relay team was behind and I just immediately started sprinting flat out as, as hard as I could and going into the second lane. So running, running a longer distance than the runner who was in the lead and I fail spectacularly and we, and we lose, but 
I became a kind of hero <laughs> for this display, you know, in a very small way. And I think that that moment was really instructive for me. I mean, I think it aligned with my personality more generally, but I was just trying to think through that, like, what is it that that, that display of mine resonated with other people? Mm. And what would it be like to act like that in other aspects of your life? When, because there's lots of times you really want something, right? Or you really want to win. But if you completely go all out, and it, it would be insane to do that, you know? <laughs> um, but I think we kind of need that sometimes as people, right? Mm. To like, I guess it's like why sometimes rom-coms are popular. You see a person kind of acting sort of badly or completely out of themselves mm. for their desire. Um, but I think that's something that's really beautiful about running and really sport more generally. Um, although in something, some other sports you have to be more contained. Like I think it, like in tennis during the point, mm. you can't. You can't, you can't do that. You can after in your celebration. Um, but I think it's something really special that we can tap into and that allows us to, you know, connect to other people through this display. Yeah, I love that sentiment. And I love the thing of like the, the sort of the, the one almost to, to see if you could draw it into elements of your life that aren't connected to running. Like I think, you know, many of the English listeners to the podcast might sort of resonate with that feeling of wanting to be sort of wearing the heart more on their sleeves for something that they sort of truly desire. Like, have you dabbled in, in drawing it into other aspects of your life other than your running of like going all in on things? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm kind of like that as a person. And I think also um, Americans tend to be more in that vein, maybe than mm. than folks in the UK or in Canada where I live now, especially the West Coast of Canada, people tend to be quite reserved. Mm. Yeah, I think I like that story because I think it is it is a lot of who I am. Not not in every moment, right? You can't you can't be all out in every moment. Mm. And uh but I think I do crave that as a person. I crave like opportunities for that. Mm. So let's roll back a little bit to sort of your I mean, you touched on it a little bit there with that sort of that memory that shapes that sort of early entry into the handbook. But when when did it first sort of come into your life running? Was there like a significant moment where you sort of felt that it was going to be part of who you are as a person? You know, I never really thought about um, having a moment where like running emerged for me because my parents were part of this jogging boom mm. in the, you know, in the 80s. I was born in the very late 70s. And um, our whole family would would run and compete in these very small, I'm from a small town in East Tennessee races. And so from a very young age, I went to the track with them. I would go on the little runs in the park with them. It's just something that I, that I always did. Mm. And um, running was really respected in my family. So if you wanted to buy some time for yourself, you know, you could say, Oh well, I'm I'm gonna go for a run, and that doing that or doing your homework could always buy you <laughs> <laughs> some time, or maybe even get you out of doing the dishes or wow. folding your laundry. I mean, temporarily, okay. You know, but 
but I think I've carried that through. I mean, till today, it's like, oh, you know, I have emails to send or, you know, an article to read, but I always sit, like give myself the time to like have my run um, in order to sort of balance those things. Yeah. So it's just been something that I've always done, which becomes quite difficult for me in moments where I'm injured or unable to run. <laughs> mm. I mean, yeah, and there's there's a moment, there's one specific moment that immediately springs to mind where where injury was forced upon you by by a interaction with a with a vehicle in a, in a car accident that happens to you. I mean, kind of don't want to give away too much of that moment in the book, but in terms of reflecting back on that incident, runners often talk about how injuries and setbacks sort of seep into their character and you know form them uh, and build their character going forward. But that moment for you in particular, I mean, there's one moment where you talk about the first run that you had back after recovering from the accident and returning to the the scene of the accident. Can you sort of walk us through what that experience was like? And was that sort of part of the healing process or the completion of your healing process of that experience? It's a good story. So I hope people do read it. But just as a, a shorthand, I was like running and struck by a car and it ran over my legs. And I was in a very busy intersection in Brooklyn, New York. Um, so it's very terrifying. But when I return, I felt that I needed to return to the intersection as a way to somehow uh, be myself and to not let that stop me from running because I knew that I didn't want to give up running. But it was incredibly terrifying to do it. And now I wouldn't do it. I actually was recently visiting in Brooklyn and I went back because I was like, I need to, I've been writing about it. I need to see this intersection mm. again. And it was so like way more terrifying again because it's just very, very busy. And I don't, I don't know how I got out of it uh, so unscathed, even though I was pretty injured. But I don't think that it, that there is a healing process totally for me, mm. right? I, I was like, before that happened, I was a real cowboy, like I had a lot of confidence in my body and I would cross against the light and just, um, that's totally changed. Like I will absolutely stop at every light and not go until the signal is clear. And I still um, probably, you know, multiple times a week have a sensation when I'm going through a crosswalk that a car is going to run me over. Mm. Um, so I still have that. I still have that. And I think I, I think I'll always have it. And in some ways, it's good because I'm, I'm much more cautious. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I tell this story, it's an extreme story for me, but I feel like so many runners have experienced kind of dramatic injuries and things like this. And yeah, it brought me into like a whole world of, of terrible accidents, which is which is its own thing. Mm, yeah. And, and the, the way you sort of share it in the book, I think is, is so the actual description of when you're in the hospital and that experience, and then the sort of the fear of, of return, make your own way back to your apartment and worrying about not being able to make contact. So it's, it's very vivid. And I can imagine, yeah, something like that is something that takes its time in order to arrive at a place where you can sort of not make peace with it, but live with it as part of your kind of lived experience as, as a runner. There's so many things like I've got so many things to kind of riff on, but I don't want to kind of almost like uh, uh, spoil the book. Like there's descriptions of pain caves that I, I think are incredibly apt and your experiences. I mean, 
let's talk about your experiences with LSD. That that really zinged out with me, and I just want to caveat that, readers. We're not talking about the hallucinogenic run, uh, the drug here. We're talking about long, slow distance running. Because I love how you kind of articulate that in, in the work. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Thank you. Yeah, I think this is also too part of this kind of earlier um, running boom that my parents were part of, and this this moment moving from the 1970s to the 1980s, where long distance running. Um, had this kind of countercultural roots. Mm. And I, I mean, there's still elements of this and even like, you know, there's branding that tries to play on it. I think of like the French brand Satisfy, for example. But yeah, long, slow distance is just um, this this kind of running that they, they became this idea, right? That uh, you don't have to go all out, I guess, in to return to our previous conversation, every moment. Mm. And there's a way of training your body that includes just including distance at an easy pace where you could converse with other people. And I think this is a really beautiful kind of frame for running. And I also do like it, the pairing with it of the thinking about it as in a kind of countercultural hallucinatory space, mm. because when you do something repetitive, and especially if you're not going at max effort, you know, you can allow your, your brain to drift, like you, you move into a different state. And when you do it with other people, I feel like something really interesting happens. And, um, you know, in the book, I'm really interested in this idea of hapticality, which mm. is a sense of feeling and feeling through others and others feeling you. And I feel like that's a, a, a really good opportunity to do that and if you're not running with other people also to do that with yourself mm. um i'm not one of these people who is like oh i i have a problem to solve and i go out to run and i've come back and solve it that doesn't happen for me but i i do i can go on a, a really long run and i do feel it is like a, a drug i mean there are chemicals that are released that are very similar to to uh cannabis and we know we know all this from the running science but um i feel that i care less about tedious things it's interesting we talk about you know doing your recovery runs easy isn't it and it always feels like a sort of uh, a boring kind of thing of like yeah okay but i feel like this is a real kind of advert for like do it and you might experience all kinds of weird and wonderful kind of things that might unfold in your mind so i i definitely i, ne I never thought i'd hear myself saying this but i definitely encourage our listeners to experiment with lsd that's uh long slow distance running um there's yeah there's so many other things to sort of to to um, unpick and, and 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 explore talk to me about being soft with running that was another thing that really jumped out to me and this idea of, of, and it's kind of coming back to that hapticality as well that you were talking about, about this the feeling of being soft and being open to touch and stuff like that. Why was that something that you felt that was important to include in, in the work, this idea of, of being yeah soft with one's running? I think that that comes out of a, a couple of different things for me. One is just getting older and mm. trying to like, <laughs> you know, make peace with what my body is and what it can do. And also just to um, really enjoy it. Right. And like kind of an, in a frame of thinking about being in competition with my younger self is not a recipe for happiness necessarily. Um, so that's part of soft running, just like really appreciating it and enjoying it. Mm. Um, I think that comes out of the pandemic too, just like having running and living where I do in Vancouver, 
next to, I live in the city, but next to an amazing park with old growth for, forests and the ocean. And um, it was just such a gift to, to have that and to, yeah, to, and in a time where I think I needed a lot of softness, lots of people did. Uh, so that's part of it. And I think the other idea is that when I'm doing this handbook or this play on a handbook, I was returning to a lot of of handbooks that I had read. And this was before the boom of like these kind of super women runners, all their memoirs were coming out, I think came out at the same time as mine, as like Lauren Fleshman and Kara Goucher and Desland. And I didn't have those books um, when I was finishing so I found a lot of really kind of like macho texts mm. in some ways, even written by, I don't even mean that as a gendered way, even written by women. And I felt that I want to, I was after something else with thinking about running. And I think you can have, you can run softly with running while also having, um, having hard efforts in mm. there as well. Um, I'm still for, you know, trying to push yourself and, yeah absolutely uh, you know so it's not against that at all but it's also about just um having running in a collective thinking about other people thinking about the places where you're running and having a kind of gentleness with yourself i i think as well the piece where i talk about it is actually where i talk about running with music because one of the things that really rankled me and returning to or like we say where i'm from in tennessee sticks in my craw um, it's these kind of mandated ways that people talk about running, or if you're not doing it this way, that's not really running. Or, mm. So, um, I take a little dig at Malcolm Gladwell because he does this interview where he says something like, like, if you're running with music, then like that's soft running. And if you're running with music, then you, you're running from your running. Mm. And I just thought that was so ridiculous because like, I mean, I, I actually stopped running with music for the most part, re like a few years ago, but sometimes I do it and I see the pleasure and the pleasure in it, right? I'm all for the pleasure of running and for people finding their own ways to run and what it means to them. So I don't like any of those kind of mandated thing so I think that's that's what I feel like soft running plus I know a lot of musicians and like they always run with music and it's part of their creative process and I think that's beautiful I think it is and I think the way you articulate that is 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 wonderful and I think pleasure and running means so many different things to so many different people and people find pleasure in the suffering but also people find pleasure in that feeling that wild abandonment of running with music and I think to to have that laid down as like a, a barrier to entry for people that they can't enjoy the sport because they are running for music. I, I, I would, Malcolm, if you're listening, you're probably not. But if you are, I, I would, I would kind of concur with you on that point. But hey, if you want to come on the show, we can, we can hash it out. Because um, yeah, I also don't run with music, but I also, you know, if you want to crack on. I did a 10k race yesterday with a dear friend, and he said to me just before the race started, he said, "I'm really sorry, but I am going to be putting my." Um, my AirPods in just before it kind of the race kind of kicked off. I was like, yeah, it's fine. You do you. It's your experience, you know, and it's still, we're still sharing the same space. We're still running stride by stride, you know, hearing each other's kind of heavy breathing and then my eventual kind of slow crumbling and dying um, as the race panned out. But it's still a shared experience. And um, there was another thing as well that really kind of um, jumped out to me was there was this thing. I, I've literally just finished reading the piece just before I jumped on this call and 
as someone who is uh, who writes about the kind of queer experience within the book, there was this one line that really kind of jumped out to me. Um, where you talk about this compulsory heterosexuality experience of this repetitive stress injury that has hobbled ourselves of, of possibility. And I'm kind of, I, I'm, I'm making a bit of a meal of that. I'm probably not quoting it correctly because I've just sort of scribbled it down before we jumped on this call. But I love that idea that you sort of ruminate on of like, because heterosexuality has been something that we've had throughout our entire lives that it's perhaps closed us off to our sense of what's possible. And I loved you sort of using that as an example within the book, like for someone who definitely doesn't have enough knowledge and understanding of, of what it is to be a person who identifies as queer living in today's society. I just, for my own learning, as well as for the listeners, for you to unpack that sentiment uh, and why you chose to include it within the work. It's in a section where I'm talking about repetitive stress injuries of the body. Mm. And so I wanted to make that uh, more expansive. And the the heterosexuality and um, compulsory heterosexuality as a repetitive stress injury, I take from the philosopher Sarah Ahmed, um, which is in her book, Queer Phenomenology, for anyone out there who wants to read it. So that's not my idea, That's that's hers. Um, but when I read that, um, I laughed out loud because I thought that that was just really fun. I thought that was a really funny sentiment. So I scribbled it in my notebook of like things I'm going to think with at some point or another. And when I was working on this book, I was like, this is the perfect place to uh, to think with that idea. Um, but yeah, I think just also with thinking about running and approaching it from my perspective, which I have to say, like, I mean, the book is has queer theory throughout and is coming from uh, that angle in some sense. But I think that it's a book for all runners. And I think like what I wanted to put out there was just that all of these other books that I have read just take um, heterosexuality as a given, mm. you know, and especially some of the old ones are hilarious where it's like, you want to be a long distance runner? Your wife better get on board. Because <laughs> 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 you're going to be on your LSD runs and she's going to be doing laundry or whatever. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to put it in there as just like, I mean, I wanted to, I felt that I needed to explain it a bit and I want Mm. to, and I love queer theory, but also just to put it in there as just like, I'm just a person, right? And this Mm. is just like, you're just like reading it along with my stories of like losing badly or Mm. um, getting run over or whatever, like anything else. So just as, as a part of life, but not the only part, right? Not the only part of identity or or Mm. thinking, but a, but a possibility. Yeah. Um, I also think there's something very queer about sports. I mean, even maybe especially like the ones that proclaim to be very straight, mm. you know, but I, I think like I'm doing a queer read of of sport and not in a way where I sat down to like do a queer read of sport, but just because that's how I see things. Mm. So, for example, the story that I tell of the first London Marathon, where um, Dick Beardsley and Inga Siemensen come in hand in hand together. Um, you know, I don't think they're reading that as like a as a queer moment necessarily. Maybe they are. I don't know. Mm. I mean, they are they are straight men, but I I do certainly, and that's why I chose. 
that story for for other reasons as well but one of the main Mm, I just it really and yeah again thank you for it's Sarah Ahmed that where the quote comes from and there's so you pull from so many brilliant other writers and thinkers as well it's such a such an incredible resource for like inspiration and just challenging well not challenging but like provoking thought within one's own mind about the sport and you know there's a there's a lot of when there is like resistance to people uh, resistance from people when we talk about pronouns or gender or sexuality and stuff I always feel like it, it comes from a slight sort of ignorant perspective of like we've we've solved this now everyone okay why do we need to continue to like learn and it's like that arrogance of like do you think like as a society we've like nailed it when it comes to any aspect of like human civilization I mean look at the world in in, in the wide we haven't solved it in any way shape or form so why why be resistant to acknowledging how someone chooses to identify, be it through their, their gender or sexuality or whatever. And I just thought that that sort of attributing it to the sort of repetitive stress thing was was just perfectly sort of um, timed. So I really sort of uh, appreciated that. But in terms of your own running, I mean, has it made, has it shifted your relationship with running at all? Like, what is your relationship with, with running right now? Are you, are you in a healthy relationship with it? Are you, are you working through some things? Like, yeah, what, what's the latest with that? Well, unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago, I, I rolled my ankle, so not too badly. I think I'm going to get out in a couple of days, but uh, it did set me back a couple of weeks. So I've been I've been swimming. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, I feel like my relationship to running is is really good. Mm -hmm. And the, the book uh, opened up a whole worlds for me that mm -hmm. I didn't know existed, honestly. And I have a lot of people writing me who are mostly queer people, but not totally just mm. to, to say like, oh, I never saw myself in a running book. And then uh, and then here I am. And I think also I, I've met these communities of runners, especially uh, I'm very excited about these runners that I met um, called the Capri Collective, who are based in L.A., and they write session notes and they center like queer runners and BIPOC runners as like the center of their practice okay. and also putting sort of the collective above the individual. And I feel like just like meeting these groups, like there's another group in Berlin, just meeting these groups that I'm kind of simpatico with that I didn't know were, were there has been really beautiful. So yeah, I feel, I feel, yeah, I didn't know, you know, you write a book and you're kind of by yourself at your desk and then mm. it goes out and you don't know. But every time I've written a book, it sort of opened up more of the world to me. If the rolled ankle sort of does behave itself in a few days, I mean, is there potential for you to, to connect with these communities? Might there be some, might there be some trips maybe to, to, to share some miles with the groups? Definitely. I mean, I think I can't, I don't think I can keep up with the Capri Collective, but, uh, I, 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 but I'll try. I, I did, I did meet them, some of them in New York, uh, where I had an event around the book and, and I'm happy, I'm hoping that we have a collaboration that is ongoing. They actually made a t-shirt uh, for the front of our, of my book in the back. So we have a little collab going on. Um People are interested in a, in a running t-shirt. Danny, I'll send you one. Send me the, the link. We'll put the merch in the bio for sure. Absolutely. But yeah, I'm hoping to do more. And I actually like, I'm thinking of, well, I am writing a follow-up uh, to this because so much more came out of it. And oh, wow. I'm really interested in writing um, 
a little bit less about my own personal experience than I did in this book, but writing more about these groups that I've discovered and, you know, what it, what is happening with running there in these, in these, uh, yeah, in these really special, exciting places. So uh, that's, that's really piqued my interest. I mean, in terms of the queer community and running, like, what have you noticed that, that is happening? Are, 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 I mean, yeah, what, what is your take? Is, are there more kind of queer communities forming around running? Is there more that can be done? Like, is there any ways that perhaps people who are listening who want to be allies of those communities can do to, to help? Like, what, what have you kind of picked up on through connecting with these individuals? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a lot more groups forming. If I find it really exciting, sometimes they find me or I find them through the social media. I've been sort of keeping a list of, of the groups that I find. And they often have really fun names, like um, there's one in Philadelphia called Les Run that I really like following. I think there's more running groups in general. So I don't know, like I haven't done a kind of quantitative, like what's, I think they're just like running groups are proliferating. Mm. Um, But definitely there's more groups of queer people running together, which I think is really great. And as far as like what everyone can do, I think it's just this idea, like you say, like, uh, just be open and like, you know, for there not to be just like an assumption of heteronormativity or cisgenderedness in a group. I think that that's really useful just for inclusion. And like you said, it's really funny, like people have to just know that the world is always changing. Me too. Like, I'm like, what's going on with pronouns now? I have to like, I have to like sort of see what's happening. And it helps because I'm a professor and I'm around young people and I'm like, oh, okay. This is what's going on. (laughs) Um, But it's right. It's like people don't balk at like a new weird shoe trend, right? It's like, oh, now we're having, we're putting in carbon carbon plates and people are like, I'm here for it. What's happening? You know? But if when it's something like, I mean, of course it's different and there's much more loaded, but it's just, mm. you know, that I'm, what I'm saying is there's the capacity in mm. people to, mm. to accept new things. I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's such a uh, sort of a uh, beautiful analogy there of like carbon plates, AirPods, the 45 millimeter stack heights. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Sign me up, sign me up and I'll pay for the privilege of that as well. I'll pay hard earned cash for something that might give me all kinds of injuries, but that's a whole other podcast for a whole other time. But yeah, people's, people's capacity. I think you're right. Is, is often, um, it's often interesting where they have bandwidth and places where they perhaps, they perhaps don't. And I mean, from, from like taking the sort of spotlight away from the kind of community side in terms of the professional side, in terms of opportunities for, for all, all types of runners and how they choose to identify in terms of gender. I mean, have you looked into that side of that side of things when it comes to like sort of elite level competition? I know that's a an incredibly debated and contested subject. I mean, have you thought about digging into that world at all and turning your kind of lens on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm following it. I can't say like I'm I'm an expert in that. It's it's it is definitely something that I would like to write more about. So I want to think through that. I've been really excited, for example, in uh, about the runner Nikki Hiltz, who just they amazing just had run. an amazing run. Amazing run. And um, yesterday I was wearing, like when they were unsponsored, they made these t-shirts that say like track club and it's a little bit like rainbow, rainbow um, design. 
you know, the, they weren't sponsored. And now I think they're sponsored by Lulamon or something, but it's just when they were able to like, just bring their full selves to the world. I mean, they're killing it. Mm. So I'm really interested in their trajectory, but just other ways that sort of gender and sexuality are playing out too. I think it's so much more interesting too than just the debate about testosterone or I don't know. There's much more to it. So I I think I will write more about it and approach it, but kind of as a, at a slant ways as I do. Because I'm kind of interested in theory and poetics. And mm. um, I think that there are other people that are more skilled at uh, arguing well about biology. Mm. It's really, uh, and yeah, Nikki Hiltz, I mean, so wildly talented as well. Like uh, such an incredible athlete. And maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm literally riffing here, but maybe that that wild talent as well is the thing that can maybe bring the conversation to an even higher level for, for more people to take notice as well. Sometimes, you know, sport is very much linked to performance and when pe people are kicking ass in the 1500 meters, that makes people sort of sit up and take notice. But I I'm just, I just want to go back to one thing that you said then about the idea of sexuality and that prompting interesting thoughts in your, in your head, in, in terms of your kind of academic writing, is that one of the main kind of draws for you is like what it can kind of teach us about ourselves rather than like defining what it is and what it means to people like what it sort of prompts within you as a as an academic and as a writer yeah one of the things that i'm writing a lot about is queer joy mm. and i'm also um i'm working on on soccer that's a different podcast as well <laughs> but i'm getting ready to go to the world cup so i'm thinking a lot of, a lot about that I think that also thinking about joy and thinking about pleasure is another way to do critique as a way to, sh to show that there's other possibilities in the world. I think uh, Nikki Hiltz also winning is, is a way to do that. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it, it, you have to say like, okay, well, they're a white person and, and that's giving them privilege as well. I think like the history, especially of, of, mistreatment of black athletes who are mm. considered to not be the gender that they say they are you know is a is a big topic and and something that is that we need to keep in mind but yeah right now I'm, I'm kind of i'm kind of going towards the joy and seeing what what that brings us and like you said just an idea of possibility or if we just spend time watching people and and seeing their full personalities you realize that it's just this is only part of who they are. I love that idea. And what, in terms of watching people, and obviously your, your, your world is sort of sociology and the, the sort of study and looking and observing and stuff like that. And I just want to go back to one thing that you mentioned earlier when you were saying, you know, keeping up with, with pronouns and, you know, leaning to your kind of younger students as, as a resource. Like, do you think that that younger generation coming through is like, one that we will all be kind of drawing from as we, as we move forward when we think about the sport for how to tell stories around it how to promote more inclusivity like is that where perhaps people should be really truly focusing their attention i think so i think like i i really believe in this next generation i know that the world that they've inherited is <laughs> kind of fucked up but um they, they really are an inclusive generation. And I, you know, I can, I can't speak for, you know, 
I can speak only from my experience and the students I have and, mm. and who I encounter, not for the mm. whole world or, but um, I find them amazing and like really tolerant of each other and really supportive in a way I've actually, and gentle. And I guess this is kind of soft in a way that, that I haven't experienced before. And I think once you just also grow up with uh, other possibilities, seeing other ways of life, seeing other presentations, it just makes it a lot easier. I'm not a person who believes representation is everything, but it's also not nothing. And are there other possibilities, just bringing it back to running for you, that you're potentially thinking about exploring other distances, other disciplines in the mountains, on the track? Like, are there, are there, are there, I don't know, are there, are there possibilities that, you know, are, are appealing to you and exciting to you when it comes to running that perhaps you haven't explored before? I think it maybe happens to everybody at some point but like you know I've been the longest I've run is a marathon so I'm I'm ultra curious <laughs> <laughs> okay okay is there is there any particular race is there is there any kind of like bucket list race or like any challenge that you sort of been contemplating no I I there's a lot I think well there's several things that I think I can't do like a real up and down mountain race. We'll see. I would need to train in a very serious way, but I have very bad ankles as evidenced by what just happened. So playing soccer in my youth, I just like destroyed my ankles. So, and I have a knee, I don't know, just things, right? So mm-hmm. um, I have to figure, I have to sort that out. I mean, I would love to be a person who just like runs up and down the mountains all day long and maybe I can figure out some kind of way to get there, but uh, there's a race called the Whistler 50 that's um, close to where I am. So maybe I would start with kind of a closer ultra. But right now I'm I'm focusing just on the marathon distance and um, I'm looking to run uh, the California International Marathon. And then uh, hopefully I'll, I'll get into the Boston Marathon. I got a qualifying time, but to... Uh, get into that for this spring because you am i right have you done because you were you were set to do boston before your car accident right have you actually ever done it since the accident since your recovery no i've never done it so that's been always on my on my list as you know an american runner to to run that race so Okay. I'm really looking forward to that. Okay. Well, yeah, park the, fi- I'm, I'm not giving out running advice, but maybe park the 50 K let's, yeah, let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's go for that BQ. Let's get it. Let's get it in the books. Let's get it. Let's get it committed. And, and yeah, see, I'd be f- fascinated to have your kind of lovely creative lens on that experience of Boston as well. I'll have to get you back on the, back on the podcast and just sort of close things out. There's this wonderful sentiment that you sort of share at the at the end of the work where you talk about the beauty of of practice and the sort of the beauty of the kind of ritual of running. And you also kind of concede in the work that sometimes sometimes running kind of is a pain in the ass. Sometimes it's horrible. <laughs> sometimes you kind of you kind of don't want to do it. But I suppose the question that I'm putting to you is perhaps for people who maybe aren't seeing the the beauty of their practice right now who are listening to this what would be your advice for them to to rediscover it or maybe yeah turn those little bits of sort of spark back into a fully fledged flame of running love for a really lazy sort of you're the writer not me but yeah what would be your kind of words of advice i mean i guess there's lots of things like sometimes laziness isn't really laziness right it's like mm. um it's anxiety or uh depression or right as something else 
So I, I would maybe go back to soft running, just mm. like, just try to be gentle with yourself and see like what kind of pleasure you can get out there. Like let go of times, let go of distances and just put on your shoes and like feel yourself in the world, I would say. I think that's the key to, to coming back and sort of like let go to letting go of some kind of uh, this is for me. This is of some kind of ego. You know, when I've been out for a little while because of something, it's just like I have in my mind, I should be able to come back and like run whatever six miles easy. And it's just like you have to let go of that mm. and just uh, kind of see where you are, do what you can. I love that. I love that. And running soft, I feel like. I feel like there's another merch line. I can see that on a t-shirt. Like I can, and I really can. I really can. Maybe we, we, if anyone's listening, let's 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 make some plans. Let's get that merch sorted. But the the runner's ego thing. It's amazing that that voice. Everyone knows that running ego voice. I can hear what it sounds like in my head. Of like, I can crush mile repeats. I'm fine. Come on, let's do it. Like, but everyone knows what that voice is. But that's a that's a lovely sentiment. And yes, run soft find your joy i think yeah but lovely sentiments and one of many that's within this this wonderful work and if people have been enjoying you ruminating on it where where can they get hold of a copy where where would they find this this wonderful work and i, I can't recommend it enough it is just there's so much joy to be found in it where, where can they get themselves a copy of this work thank you so much well i know it's in a lot of um bookstores in the in the u.s and canada i don't know about the uk but um, you can get it online with whatever kind of um, Amazon or evil corporations you can order from, or you can also uh, order it from Duke University Press's website, and they do mail all over the world. So that would be my my recommendation. Do you, yeah, let's. I'll put that link on, and maybe we'll maybe just we'll put the Amazon one further down. But yeah, let's 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 shout out Duke University Press. But yeah, I I I, I cannot recommend the work enough. It's lovely. It's there's just so many things that you, it's like a lovely toolkit that you can pull different things from for, for things to think about, things to find inspiration from, and yeah, hopefully return you back to discovering the beauty of practice that is your own running. And that feels like a lovely note to end our conversation on. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show, for being such a brilliant guest. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on The Big Room. Thank you so much, Danny. I really enjoyed it. A big thank you to Lindsay for coming on the show. I'll put links in the show notes where you can order a copy of the book via Duke University Press, as well as picking up a t-shirt from the Capri Collective. It's really nice. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Big Rump. <laughs>